Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. We've got week 13 up next, and the Jaguars head to the Great White North to take on the Vikings at U.S. Bank Field. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markowski, who is now a married man. Jeremy, how does it feel? Married life, it's it's fantastic, treating me well. Um, yep, November 21st was the date, and shout out to the missus. Uh, we're newly married, and everything is going pretty well. Glad to hear it. Uh, so hopefully your marriage this to this point has been much less dramatic than the whole Lot J ordeal going on. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have been following that heavily, uh, but it looks like it's pretty much a guaranteed deal for a city council to approve the Lot J project. How long will it take? It's looking like over a half decade is, is, is how long it's going to be, maybe pushing seven years between getting all the uh, all of the red tape done and all that, and then actually getting construction underway, I don't want to dive too deep into that because this is a football show after all. But if you do want more insight on that, you can check out my Twitter at Jordan Delugo. I've talked about it a lot. Check out Nate Monroe and uh, all the good reporters over there at the Florida Times Union. They've been covering the whole situation very closely. Um, do you have any thoughts on Lot J, Jeremy? I think it is imperative that we finally either A, get a decision, or you know, B, figure out exactly what is going to come of all this nonsense because you know it's it's just there's too much up in the air and in limbo, especially when you're trying to hold this franchise here. You know, it doesn't help that all this nonsense is going on. Those are my thoughts. Nothing really major, but uh, I hope it gets done. Yeah, it's looking like it's going to get done, but of course, it will take a long time. City Council is going to approve it. Uh, but again, if you if you want to check out more in depth analysis on that, highly recommend Nate Monroe from the Florida Times Union. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, today, though, we will be providing some takeaways from the Jaguars' loss to the Browns, twenty seven to twenty five loss against uh, you know a very good Browns team. It was the hundredth regular season loss for Shad Khan. Uh, I think we've all talked about that quite a bit already, but. Maybe we'll touch on it again. We'll look ahead to the Vikings, and we will break down my first seven-round mock draft of 2021. Uh, The Steelers and Ravens are facing off right now after an eternity of postponements. It seems like they were originally scheduled to play on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Right now, as we record, they are playing. Last time I checked, it was 9-7. to Is that still accurate? We are still sitting at 9-7. to we are. Yes. It is uh you can tell both teams are uh not totally uh as sharp as they normally are, especially the Steelers. I mean, they don't look great, but what are you going to do? This game got postponed like 3 times. Nobody in the building knew what was going on. Everything is just off. This whole season is off. This is just a microcosm of that. I mean, there's nothing really much you can do. How are you going to prepare for a game that you don't even know when you're going to play? 
Right, and they haven't really they haven't been able to practice either. So very odd circumstances. No Lamar Jackson, no uh no Mark Ingram, no Mark Andrews, um, no JK Dobbins. So yeah, very strange. And Joe Hayden, he got a pick six. He wasn't even gonna be able to play on Thanksgiving Day, probably, but now he's making a big impact for the Steelers. So uh yeah, we'll be following along with that game as we record here. Um, oh yeah. The Jaguars fired general manager, Dave Caldwell. How could I forget? We will talk all about the job that Dave Caldwell did while he was here and kind of look, look forward to what we're looking for in a GM and maybe throw out some potential candidates. Uh, obviously it's a long way from now to when the Jaguars will hire their GM probably at least a month or a couple months. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done before that happens. So this will just be kind of a basic look at what Caldwell did while he was here and maybe what we're looking for in the next GM. Uh, check ginjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis and to get all your Duval merch. Uh, we've got a lot of fun stuff going on over there. Again, that's ginjag.com. Big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and their original Riverside Tap Room over on Roselle. So before we jump into the loss to the Browns, we've got some roster stuff going on. Cornerback Sidney Jones returned to practice today in a limited fashion. Josh Jones, strong safety. Uh, he is designated to return from IR, so he has 21 days to be activated He'll probably be activated because he did participate in practice, should be back this week. Uh, Daniel Thomas, who replaced him in the starting lineup and was stealing reps from him prior to Josh Jones's injury, is on IR himself now. So getting Jones back could be a, a big win for the Jaguars in the secondary. You've got uh, DJ Chark and Chris Conley, who both missed last week's game. They practiced today. Uh, Mike Glennon. And the starter yet again, even though Gardner Minshew is 100% healthy, Doug Marone says um, Glennon gives them the best chance to win this weekend in Minnesota. And then uh, lastly, we've got Devon Hamilton. Injured his knee, looked like it could be really bad uh, against the Browns, but fortunately he avoided a major injury, according to Doug Marone. Uh, He'll probably still go on IR for at least three weeks, but no major injury. For Devon Hamilton, the rookie defensive tackle, who has been playing excellent football over the last month or so. So mostly good news there on the injury front for the Jaguars. It's very good news, especially with Devon Hamilton. Obviously, like you said, a young guy who's been playing extremely well, you know, stuff like that, those knee injuries, that could have been catastrophic to not only you know, this season and in his development, but his career as a whole. So, you know, we're obviously very, very glad that that uh, was a lot less serious than it seemed. And I think you're going to start to see some of these guys get shut down, especially if we're seeing lagging um, and, and nagging injuries. Just shut them down, especially the young talent. You've seen hopefully enough uh, at this point in the season to get a good feel of whether or not they're, you know, in your future plans. Obviously, you'd like to see more, but there's no reason to risk any sort of serious injury for some of these young guys. So 
if there's any question, any doubt at all, just shut them down. Look to the offseason. You know, you mentioned that the, the you know the, the GM search is, is going to be a long one. I think it's going to be a long one. You're going to have plenty of time, uh, you know, in the offseason going into next year to really show, uh, you know, some more stuff on tape and on film in front of, you know, a, a new regime. So there's no reason to put these guys in a position to where you may jeopardize their career or even next season at this point with the way this team is playing. Yeah, I completely agree. And going back to Glennon, I mean, it is what it is at this point. I don't think starting Minshew or Glennon is going to make a huge difference. Probably a little bit frustrating to just not see a little bit more of Minshew. But Glennon did play pretty well last week. So we'll take a look at how he played against the Browns here in just a second. But uh, I, I don't know how you could look at what Minshew did during his rookie year in the first few games of this year before his injury and think that Glennon gives you a better option to win if that's really what you are trying to do. But that's just my opinion. What do you think? I think, and I, I'm going to disagree with you here. I think at this point in the season, from what we've seen to this point in last year, that doesn't matter right now. Gardner Minshew's coming off a three game was three game absence at this point, uh, a, a hand injury that was obviously marring his throwing ability. And after that, you know, you've got a guy who just came off a, a pretty decent game, in my opinion, Mike Glennon. You know, there's no reason to go back to a guy who hasn't played in a few weeks if you are really trying to win, because I didn't see that much of a difference in the offense. And this goes back to Luton as well. I didn't see that much of a difference in the offense and in this team that made me feel like Gardner Minshew was above and beyond all these guys, that Gardner Minshew was going to immediately step in and give this team an immediate chance to win. That's not a slide on him. The team's not great, but it does kind of show you where he really is in his progression. We thought we were seeing these jumps. We thought he was by far the best quarterback on the roster, but these last few weeks have shown us that that's just simply not true. The team, the team has been in the same situations, and honestly, even in better situations last week with Mike Glennon, in my opinion, than they had been the rest of the year prior. So I don't think that you can look at Gardner Minshew and say he gives the best chance to win. I think they are truly trying to win with this decision. Mike Glennon gives you the best chance to win right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and Doug Marone said no matter what – if he's the Jaguars head coach, they're going to go out and try to win every single week and do everything they can to do that. Um, we'll see how it plays out. But let's take a look back at that loss to the Browns. You mentioned Glennon pr- played pretty well. I agree with you. Um, had some really impressive passes down the field. Uh, he hit Keelan Cole in the end zone, and Cole wasn't able to come up with it. Kind of got got a big hit late on him there, but that was an impressive throw. Had a couple more impressive throws down the field. Um, he hit uh, Tyler Eifert in the end zone on what was just an incredible touch pass right over the defender. Very good throw, very good catch. He was impressive overall. He obviously wasn't perfect. He is a bit of a statue back there, which is always an issue in today's game. But, um, yeah, I agree. I don't think he did anything to make you be like, God, get this guy out of there. He... He played well against a Browns defense that was without Miles Garrett, that was without Denzel Ward, you know, easily their two best defensive players. And then, of course, they lost Ronnie Harrison on the first drive, the former Jaguars safety who they traded for next to nothing uh, earlier this year, who's just become a mainstay for the Browns. They lost him early on. So basically without their top two defenders and another defender who is among their best defenders back there. So it was against a depleted defense, no doubt about it, but he still played very well. 
he definitely got the luck of the draw this week with the defense and the issues that they were having. Um, talking about the Browns. But I'm sure we could look back at some of the other prior weeks for Minshew and for Luton and say, well, this guy was out, that guy was out. So I don't want to look too much into that. I know that obviously Miles Garrett is th- their best defensive lineman by far, one of the best in the league. He's obviously going to make a difference. But just looking at what we saw, Glennon has played the best with that game. I think that was the best game we've seen from a quarterback this year besides week one. Obviously, Gardner Minshew was was stellar in week one, but you know it would turn around. probably take his week two effort as well, potentially. But you just turn around and, and it, it just unraveled quickly. So you know it's a little bit of cause for concern there. I wish that we could get a little bit of all three of these guys into one quarterback. That that's really frustrating. Is seeing you know Minshew's mobility, Minshew's accuracy. Uh, sometimes his decision making isn't great, but he's but he's got some stuff there that you'd like to see. Luton's got a big arm, Glennon's got a big arm, and Glennon's got massive size, and so does Luton. But you know, these guys all have something a little bit different to bring to the table. And with the way it stands right now, with the team we have right now, I think Glennon's skill set, Glennon's ability brings more to this team, puts him in a better position to win going forward. Yeah, fair enough. You look at his completion percentage, not impressive, under 60%. But when you've got a guy that can make those big splash plays down the field, that can erase a lot of the other misses. Uh, That might have been like a five-yard gain here, six-yard gain there. You'd much rather take the 40, 50-yard bomb down the field. And uh, he was hitting guys. Colin Johnson was very impressive. He had almost 100 yards. He scored his second touchdown of his career on just an awesome play, cutting across the middle and uh, just kind of beating beating the Browns' defense down the sideline. Very impressive there. Had some nice catches. And then LaVisca Chenault also returned to the lineup after having a hamstring injury that kept him out for a couple weeks. He only had three catches, but uh, very impressive on all three of them. Able to just juke defenders, run through defenders. Just fantastic with the ball in his hand. And he's obviously excellent in terms of uh, plucking the ball out of the air as well. We're starting to see exactly what I thought we had in the wide receiver room. We've got a lot of talent, and it's deep. Colin Johnson, seeing him come out and make those plays on Sunday was absolutely fantastic. I was talking to my buddy who I was watching the game with, and I was telling him, you know, this guy's six six. You know, he's got a catch radius like no other. It's time that he starts making some plays. Getting into the game, there's got to be something that we're seeing, not seeing, excuse me, in practice you know, that that's keeping him off the field. And I think it really just boils down to the depth that they have in the receiver room. You're talking about DJ Chark, Keelan Cole has been fantastic this year. He wants to stay here. Let's keep him around. He's going to be a great veteran. You've got Lavisca Chenault who's been making all of these plays. Now you've got Colin Johnson stepping into the mix. You're seeing these younger guys step up, make plays. You know, carve their role in this offense. Unfortunately, you'll see guys like. Chris Conley will probably start to fall uh, with their snap counts, but that's good. Let's start getting some of these young guys more playing time, especially Colin Johnson, and really start to develop the young talent that we have in that wide receiver room because I think it could be really, really dangerous when you've got a new quarterback spinning the ball and really getting it downfield to these guys. They can make plays. Yeah, I definitely think you want to see Colin Johnson enter the lineup more, even if Chris Conley does return to help this week. Uh, just – he provides more than Conley does. I think he's more sure-handed. Uh, Jay Gruden talked a little bit about how they were trying to get 
get Colin Johnson up to speed in terms of his route running, getting in and out of breaks, just being more crisp, and that they're starting to see that in practice and that uh, he was obviously able obviously able to translate that over to the game against the Browns. So I think you got to see him in there more than Chris Conley, without a doubt. I just love I love the, the size and – Everything that he showed, I mean, it just—it just really, it's—it's it's scary. It's scary to think that that someone with that kind of radius, you know, is on this roster. Man, I, I haven't seen a guy like that on this team in a long time. I, I love it, and I can't wait to see more of it. Yeah, the catch radius and the physicality so with that catch radius. I mean, he's going to go up over anybody. And I mean, who who's the, the tallest receiver we've had in Jaguars history? Like he he. I mean, maybe Matt Jones. I don't know. Matt Jones back in the day was was he was pretty big, but I mean, the size on this guy and the hands, I mean, he's going to be a red zone just monster. Yeah, he should be moving forward. They got to keep developing him, obviously. Keep him working with Keenan. You know, as long as Keenan's around, hopefully that'll be beyond this year. But you never know what would happen with a new coaching staff, GM, etc. He said he doesn't like the cold. Now I mean, Florida, Florida's really throwing a curveball at him then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, uh, the on the defensive side of the ball, I kind of want to talk about the young corners that had to play because you didn't have Sidney Jones, didn't have CJ Henderson, didn't have Chris Claybrook. So you got a lot of uh, Luke Barku, Josiah Scott, uh, Herndon. Saw a lot of those guys, and it looked to me like they were in pretty good position quite a bit, but they were just not able to finish those plays. Uh, Barku, he almost got a pick six. It ended up being a completion, but he was just a hair away from picking that ball and housing it, Um, and he was in on a couple other plays. Herndon, there was another one where somehow it looked like it went straight through Herndon's hand uh, and went into Jarvis Landry's awaiting arms. Uh, Jarvis Landry obviously had a big day, but I don't want to say it was like a good performance from these guys because they were getting beat, but it wasn't like they were out of position. It was just like they didn't have enough experience, especially talking about Barku and Scott to just finish those plays. To me, it was slightly encouraging from those two. I mean, you saw a few good things. Um, You definitely did, but I think as a whole, the, the, that game could have went a lot different, and I know that you know there there were definitely some good things. Like I said, Barku being positioned, almost making an interception. Herndon was in good position here and there. They made a few good plays, but there were times where there were total breakdowns in coverage. Men were being left wide open. They were out of position, and if Baker Mayfield wasn't completely off his best game on Sunday, that score would have been run way up. He was missing wide open guys down the field, in the end zone, in the flats, just making not great throws. So while you saw some good promising things from these young guys, and again, I get it, they're young, uh, but they're going to be thrust into into the game a lot more going forward, especially with some of the injuries that we're seeing. So you need to see them step up a little bit more. You saw some good things, and I understand that. They haven't got a lot of playing time up to this point, so you hope they improve, uh, and you can't really blame them for that. So you hope they improve, but... The things that we saw that weren't great, like I said, the busted coverages, leaving men in zones, not really, you know, seems like maybe there's a little bit of confusion. That stuff has to get better, and I hope it does. But, you know, there were some very concerning things also on Sunday that I saw. No, you're right. Absolutely. Baker played a terrible game. But also, you got to look at no defensive coordinator. I mean, 
that's tough. It's tough to go out there with no defensive coordinator. Obviously, Joe Dana took over and uh, did his best in that role, but Todd Wash wasn't out there. I think that could probably contribute to some of the breakdowns, also just the inexperience of Barku and Scott. So, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but I think there was some things to build off of, and if they take what happened and and build off of it in terms of Barku and Scott, you could be looking at two guys that could stick around for quite a while and two guys that, frankly, the Jaguars want to be sticking around for quite a while. Maybe not in starting roles. Scott probably does need to develop into a potential starter at nickel. But, of course, Herndon can play the nickel too. So we'll see how it all plays out. But it was interesting to see how those guys did, in my opinion. And then on the offensive side of the ball again, James Robinson, we talk about this guy every single week, just continues to ball out. Nearly six yards per carry in this one, 128 yards on the ground, a touchdown, five catches. He's third in the NFL in rushing. He always makes the first guy miss, always finds the right hole. I just, I don't even know what to say about this guy anymore, except I would like to stop acknowledging, or not acknowledging, but stop harping on the fact that. He is an undrafted rookie and start just talking about him as an excellent running back in his own right, regardless of where he was drafted. I feel like each week we're just beating the drum again and again with this guy, and he just keeps getting better and better. It's been absolutely fantastic to see, and I hate that, again, we're seeing the media bias to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the franchise as a whole. I mean, we've got guys that have been sitting out of the Hall of Fame for years now that I think should are, are surefire Hall of Famers, no doubt. Three of them, in fact. And and here you go. You got another guy, and I'm going to say it. I know you said don't harp on anymore, but an undrafted free agent rookie running back is fourth in the league in total yards behind some of the biggest names in NFL football today. And I know the team isn't winning, but somehow he is not even being discussed for rookie of the year, that just blows my mind. That just absolutely blows my mind. So I, there's nothing else that we can say about this guy. You know, that we've said it all, and we can say it again and again and again, and he just keeps proving exactly what we're saying, keeps proving everybody wrong, and he's showing that he belongs in this league, and he can be one of those guys who is going to be a focal point of a team for a long time. I love it. Yeah. And another guy who could be a focal point down the road, and he already is right now due to injuries and other things going on, Doug Costin at defensive tackle. He had another impressive game, in my opinion, when you look at it. Obviously, the Browns were able to run the ball quite a bit with Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt and that offensive line. But if you look at what he was doing, he was playing good football. I think when you had... Taven Bryan not playing great, Ikuale not playing great, Gatsis kind of getting beat quite a bit against the run, and then I think Joe Schober and Miles Jack did not have great games against the run in this one. Uh, I think Costin played well again, and he may be not the starter next to Devon Hamilton long term, but I think he's definitely proven that he needs to be a contributor uh, for the next several years along the defensive line for the Jaguars. Most definitely, and a dominant defensive line has depth and they have rotation. They have guys that can come in for a few plays, give your guys a breather and you don't miss a beat. 
That's one of the things that the Jags had back in the early 2000s. If you go looking back at their defensive lines, when they had you know the two towers with with Stroud and Henderson, they had depth behind those guys that they could you know get those guys a breather and not miss a beat on defense. I think you may be starting to see some of that. Doug Costin looks like a guy, like you said, don't know if he's the long-term answer. He might be because he's improving. He's playing really well, and he's going to get a shot. But if he's not, he's still going to be one of those rotational guys that you can count on to put into the game. And you're slowly starting to see, you know, some of these diamonds in the rough, you know, for lack of better terms, come to light here late in the season. And this may be, uh, you know, a few of the good things that Doug, or sorry, Doug, that Dave Caldwell leaves behind. Yeah, Dave Caldwell certainly did not leave the cupboard bare here for whoever comes in as the GM next. Um, Final point here for me from the loss to the Browns, uh, Caleb on chase on just another miserable showing. There's just this one play that keeps popping up in my head where he had Nick Chubb dead to rights in the backfield and just couldn't even touch him. Very frustrating season for this guy and obviously very young, very raw. He just needs to completely restart next off season and try to, erase his rookie season from his mind to try to uh, progress and and try to become at least an effective player in some regard. Yeah, it's really not looking great for Caleb Vaughn, and, and I hate that for him, but I just don't think he was he's put in the right system to really kind of help him mature as a player. I don't think he was one of the guys. No question. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's one of the guys that you can take out of the draft, put him anywhere, develop him. I think he needed to be in the right system in the right setup. And this wasn't it. And, you know, at least just let him rush. Right. And, and, and figure out stands. what you want him to be, you know, figure out what you want him to be. Cause he, it doesn't look like he's going to be a do it all guy. Um, maybe that's just, Maybe he's not catching on yet. Maybe he'll have a big jump in year two like Chark did. But as of right now, it's just not there. He's looking like a third, fourth round at best player. A guy that you could have gotten anywhere. A guy that's just, you know, in there when he needs to be. Uh, and, you know, give a guy a breather or something like that. He's not playing like a first a first round talent. He's just not even close. And so the Jaguars either really missed on this guy or they're not coaching him up very well. So, you know, it's a disservice to him and it's a disservice to the franchise as well. They missed on another one or they're not coaching properly and they're not putting this guy in a position to be successful. Yeah, there's a lot of things that contribute to this in my mind. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this guy would be a junior in college right now. Okay, so very young, very inexperienced, coming from a system where he was always in a two point stance, did not rush from a three point stance or a four point stance. And that's what the Jaguars are primarily asking him to do is just go rush the passer from a three-point stance. He's not comfortable doing it. He isn't getting enough reps to establish comfort in my mind. I think when he gets in there, he's pressing versus just like, if you're going out there and you're playing every down and you know you're playing every down, you can kind of calm down in my mind. If you get in there and you know you have to do the right thing and there's so much pressure on you, you can definitely press. And I think that's what you're seeing from him. So the next coaching staff and uh, management team, they need to try to completely go back to the basics with Chase on next year and try to get the best out of him because you did see a very talented player at LSU last year. There's no question about it. And he flashed that talent in training camp as well. So whoever gets his hands on him next needs to do a good job of just rebuilding that confidence. Now, 
Moving forward, Jaguars do have a game this weekend. I know everybody wants to hear us talk about Dave Caldwell, the GM job in the draft, and we will talk about that. That's what I want to talk about as well. But there's a game this weekend against the Minnesota Vikings at U.S. Bank Field, one of the beautiful new indoor venues in football, in my opinion, 1 p.m. kick on CBS. Uh, What do you see in this matchup? I see Dalvin Cook. I see uh, (laughs) Justin Jefferson. Um, I see a lot of talent on an offense that has overperformed. I'm sorry, underperformed, man. I can't speak today. Underperformed up to this point. The the Vikings team as a whole, in my opinion, have underperformed up to this point. They need a good game to get them back on track. And uh, here come the Jaguars, giving them that opportunity to get themselves back on track. And, you know, this offense has a lot of talent. This offense has a lot of talent. And, just like weeks past, I just think it's too much for the Jaguars' defense. It's gonna be too much for them to overcome. They're gonna run it down our throat. Uh, you know, they're gonna just line up and 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 just beat you like men. And I don't know if we have even the depth at this point to really, you know, give them any sort of resistance. I just don't see it. And you know, with, when you have speed like that on the outside, and you can run it up between between the edges, I mean, there's really no way to fundamentally attack that team. You don't have any guys on the defensive side of the ball who you can just spotlight and have them go get the quarterback or shut down Justin Jefferson or these big play receivers. You just don't. So it's going to be really hard to game plan, I think, uh, for the Vikings. And I don't really know if the Jaguars defense has it in them to give them, like I said, any sort of resistance. Yeah, so you mentioned the Vikings need to get back on track. They've actually won four of five games. The weird thing about that is their one loss during that stretch was to the Cowboys, who might be the worst team in football right now. Very strange things happening. I do think their offense is building some momentum after um, a slow start, certainly. I think their defense is playing a little bit better. I I, I think it's crazy, but I think getting Unique Ngakwe out of there is helping them, especially against the run. Uh, he just was such a liability for them against the run. Now, uh, they're obviously not impenetrable. The Jags, I think, will have a rough time on this one, especially, like you mentioned, just trying to slow down this offense. Uh, They're a tough, tough rushing team, uh, somewhat reminiscent to the team the Jaguars faced last week and couldn't stop the run. The Browns, you know, Kevin Stefanski, he comes from Minnesota. He was their offensive coordinator. His philosophy is similar to the philosophy that you're going to see this week. But the difference here, in my opinion, is Dalvin Cook is more talented than Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. No disrespect to those two guys. I think both of them are, I mean, I think Nick Chubb's probably a top five back. Kareem Hunt's probably a top 10 back. But Dalvin Cook might be the back in the NFL right now. He is unbelievable. They've got a good blocking offensive line, good zone running scheme. Uh, and that's just going to be really tough for the Jaguars' defense to slow down. Again, with these injuries, I don't know how you slow it down, and then you got that play action with Kirk Cousins, who has been playing better lately, been a lot more accurate lately. Uh, He has two fantastic targets, and when you're talking about Adam Thielen, who was just activated from the COVID list, and Justin Jefferson. So it it is a tough matchup on paper. And based on what you saw last week against the Vikings, when you're talking about the Jaguars defense versus the Vikings offense. I don't think you need to look too far when it comes to finding the back in the NFL. He's right here in the AFC South. So not too worried about that. I mean, Dalvin Cook is definitely out there. That's another conversation. You know, this is about 
the Jaguars and the game they have coming up, so I won't get too deep into that. The Vikings, yes, they've won four or five, but like you said, they had a slow start. They're still sitting at five and six. And when you look back at the games they won, they beat the Packers, who are hot, and and that's a great victory for them. Uh, they lost to the Cowboys. They struggled with the Bears, and they struggled with the Panthers and only beat them by one. This is a team, this is a game on their schedule that I think gives them the opportunity to really dominate in all three phases and really get themselves into top shape uh, going into the rest of their schedule because they've got to play the Bucks, the Bears, the Saints, and the Lions. Those are their four games after Jaguars. So they're going to have to gotta gotta win, win this game. game. And, I, and I don't see any reason for them to come out flat. They are playing a little bit better. Um, they are trying to ramp it up a little bit. And, and if they want to be a for real team, which I think they can and do want to be, obviously, I don't think anybody else wants to be bad in the NFL. But if they want to be that team, this is a game they have to win. You know, you, you can't go up against the Panthers, you know, and barely win. You can't go up against the Vikings and lose. You know, you've got to be, you know, you got to beat the teams who you're supposed to beat and play the teams, uh, the other teams well. So I think they're going to be ready for it. I think this is a game that's going to get them rolling again. And, um, you know, having Thielen come back, that's that makes it even tougher. Just like we saw uh, this weekend, you know, the Browns, they didn't have OBJ, so they were short one of their two best receivers. These guys are going to be fully loaded and ready to go. Yeah, and I think Kirk Cousins is going to be a lot more accurate with the football than Baker Mayfield was. Um, and I think that that could lead to quite a bit of points for this Vikings team. Like you said earlier, uh, if Mayfield was a little more accurate in that one, the Browns could have racked up a lot more points than they did against this Jaguars secondary. So the, obviously it's a mismatch when you look at the Vikings offense versus Jaguars defense. Other side of the ball, I think the Jaguars could definitely put up some points in this one. The Vikings are not great against the run. They're not great against the pass. You look at maybe getting DJ Chark back, you know, continuing to get Visca involved, continuing to get Colin Johnson involved, obviously pounding the rock with James Robinson. So that worries me a little bit if you're talking about wanting to see the Jaguars lose. But I just I, I don't see the Jaguars offense keeping up with the Vikings offense in this one. That is something that I've thought about, uh, especially today before the show, you know, is if the Jaguars are going to be in this game at all, it's going to be a shootout. And I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with the Vikings offense. Like you're saying, cause I think the Jaguars defense is going to struggle heavily, but like you said, there is a lot of opportunity here for the Jaguars offense to go out and be productive. Remember the Vikings don't have Daniel Hunter, one of their best defensive linemen. He's the one that gets after the passer. They've got a great defensive line still, but that's one of their key guys. And I haven't seen the injury report for them quite yet, so I'm not sure who else is out. But if there's anywhere that these Jaguars can attack, it's going to be down the field. It's going to be in the secondary. I think Mike Glennon's going to be able to get some stuff going. Hopefully these receivers, like you said, can continue to produce, uh, come off another big week last week and, and keep it rolling. And the Jaguars will have an opportunity to stay in this game. I don't think they'll be able to keep up with the Vikings offense, but they'll have an opportunity to put up some points and hopefully start to make some strides on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, the Vikings have a very young secondary. A lot of their guys have moved on to other places. Uh, Xavier Rhodes and Indy, you've seen a couple other guys that they had that were starters in the secondary move on. So um, actually one of my favorite uh Rookie cornerbacks coming into this year was Gladney, and they've got him. And 
he's starting to show some flashes. I think the only way the Jaguars really keep up in this one and, you know, maybe end up winning is if there's just some freak turnovers uh, by the Vikings offense, you know, maybe a fumble here, an interception there, a a bad snap, you know, a a missed handoff, just something weird. I think that's the only way the Jaguars keep up in this one. And I, I just don't see it happening. I don't, I don't see the Jaguars pulling it out. And, if you're a fan of the Jaguars, I think that's a good thing. That is what you want. The bottom line is you do not want to win this game if you're Jacksonville. No matter what Doug Marone says, if you're a Jaguars fan, you do not want to win this game. I, the Jags hold. I, go, I, I, go don't, I don't see the Jets no, winning any more games this year. And like you pointed out on Twitter, the Jaguars have to win two more games uh, to knock themselves out of the second pick in the draft. So I wouldn't mind winning one more. I'd like to see it be against a good team. Maybe then put one solid game together. And this might be it, but like you said, they're going to have to do things like force turnovers and play a turnover-free game on the offensive side of the ball, something we haven't seen very often this year. So um, it's definitely all the pieces are going to have to fall just right for the Jaguars to pull this one out. But like I said, we only need one more. We can have one more. So I'd be okay with one more, and I'd be okay with it this weekend in Minnesota if we can somehow manage that. I just don't want to see them build that confidence and then be like, oh, we can take down anyone. And then they go take down the Bears or the Colts. Um, I don't see them taking down the Ravens, but they're not playing great football right now either. Speaking of, what's the score of that game right now? Are you still um, I watching did not that? look over. Let me see. It is at halftime. And if I remember correctly, I believe it's 12 to 7. 12 to 7. I believe yeah, the Ravens so. were going in right before half. And, and um, they uh, – Instead of instead of spiking the ball with six seconds left on the one yard line, they try to run a play and kill the whole clock. Yeah, it's twelve seven going into the start of the second half. RG three came up on a quarterback scramble, limping a little bit there, and uh, <laughs> the, the last quarterback left is, is uh, Trace McSorley. So let's hope he's all right. Yeah, he's a guy who I did not think would make it in the league as a quarterback, but leave it to the Ravens, obviously, to get a guy like that going um, as a as a decent backup, but. Yeah, they'll have Lamar Jackson back at that point and Mark Andrews and and all those other guys. So I don't see the Jaguars winning two games, but I do want to break that down a little bit, had that in my notes here. So like you said, if the Jaguars win one more game this season, they are still locked into the top two of the draft, no matter what. Now, if they win two of the next five games, then things get dicey, as you mentioned. Uh, the Cowboys have three lo- three wins, and so do the Chargers. Uh, so if the Jaguars got to three wins, the tiebreaker between those teams is strength of schedule. As we've mentioned, the easier strength of schedule gets the better draft pick. Uh, both the Cowboys and the, and the uh, Chargers have an easier strength of schedule than the Jaguars. So uh, to hold on inside the top two, the Jaguars need to avoid winning two more games. If they do win two more games, then they need the Cowboys – and Chargers to both win another game, which there's obviously no guarantee as both those teams struggle. Um, so, yeah, you don't want to win two games. That's the bottom line, in my Absolutely. opinion, right? If I'm not mistaken, uh, prior to the season, the Jaguars were, I think, top five in strength of schedule. And you've seen the teams they have played this year. So, you know, there's a 10-0 and team on that schedule. Uh, there are multiple playoff teams on that schedule, and there are probably some here down the stretch. So the Jaguars have not had it easy. I'd like to go back and see what their strength schedule is now, uh, given the season played out, and, and based on winning percentage, I think is how they do it. 
Yeah, it's still pretty strong. Um, it's about 555, I believe. The Jets do still have a, a more difficult strength of schedule. So if the Jets are able to pick up a victory, like say in week 17 against the Patriots, who they took to the wire earlier this year, uh, if the Jets and Jags tie based on the strength of schedule right now uh, for their full schedule, the Jaguars would get the number one pick if they both end up with one win on the season. So that's something fascinating to watch over the next five weeks of the NFL season for sure as a Jaguars fan. Of course, I'd like to remind you to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, follow Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag and myself at Jordan DeLugo. And please uh, leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Helps other people find the show. Helps us out a lot. We would really appreciate that. So, Jeremy, without further ado, it's time to talk Dave Caldwell and the Jaguars general manager job. Of course, if you're listening to this, you probably know Dave Caldwell was fired Sunday night after nearly eight seasons on the job, 37-86 and 86 overall record in the regular season, of course, 2-1 and one in the playoffs. Only one playoff appearance in eight years as the Jaguars GM was not enough to get it done. Two big failures here in my mind when you talk about Dave Caldwell. Couldn't find the franchise quarterback. Missed badly with Blake Bortles and then missed again with Nick Foles. Obviously, we don't know about the decision-making process to bring in Foles. Whose decision was it? Was Caldwell on board? Was it just Coughlin? We're not sure. We may never know. Uh, Of course, so missing the quarterback, missing the franchise quarterback. You can't recover from that. And then letting the critical talented draft picks leave the building is his second biggest failure in my mind you just can't overcome those two things you have to get a franchise quarterback and you have to keep your homegrown talent. He missed on so many picks especially early in the draft i don't want to get into it i know everybody has seen it that list of of just horrendous first round draft picks and then like you said the ones but all of that could have been you know, overlooked, it could if have. you want to say, had he been able to keep Jalen, Allen Robinson, Unique Ngakwe, and some of these could other guys Could it have been completely around. overlooked? I don't know. Because I think... But could it... If you, not if you still have those guys, I don't think this team is, is, is much, much better. You're probably winning four or five games. You still don't have a franchise quarterback. Exactly. Because of the quarterback. And that, and that, I mean, no matter who you ask... Anybody who knows football, anybody who remotely knows anything about football, knows the most important position on a team, on a franchise, is a franchise quarterback. And that is what you have to do if you want to be successful in this league. I mean, you know, you, you see these teams who have those fringe guys who don't have, you know, those those top-tier franchise guys. They're doing the same thing every year. They're winning eight, nine, sometimes ten games, making it to the playoffs, losing in a round or two. That might be okay for some people, but I'm looking for more. I'm finally looking for the Jaguars to get over that hump. You know, we haven't been able to get that close in a long time. 2017 looks like it was much more of a fluke than anything. Um, You know, and then, like you said, what's even worse and what's even harder to swallow is the ones that he did hit on, the great draft picks, the great finds in Miles Jack, who's still here, thankfully, but, you know, Jalen. And, and, you know, all that whole situation just completely A-Rob and just A-Rob. drop. I mean, I get it. The guy was coming off a knee injury, but 
there's no reason why he shouldn't have got a second look, a second contract. He should have kept that one going. Look at him now. I mean, he's still. They gave Dante Fowler a fully Dante, guaranteed oh, contract man. after he broke his ACL. Extension. Yeah, after so, I mean, ACL. just you get the money to the wrong guys. You put your eggs in the wrong basket. And you can't contain the ones, you know, that, that you do hit on, the ones that you do need to keep, the ones that are game changers. It, it's just all in all, it's been just a total absolute failure. And the fact that he made it this long is just egregious. Tell me someone who performs that poorly at their job for that long and still has a job through that point. I, I, I personally couldn't tell you one single person or situation that that mirrors. It, it just doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. It's crazy. He really should have been fired before 2017. Uh, he definitely should have been fired after the 2019 season. Some people would argue that he should have been fired yeah. after 2018. I don't agree with that. I think you had a good thing going. You thought it was going well. It didn't go well after one year. I think giving him 2019 was okay. I can understand the argument for 2018. Definitely should have been fired after 2016. Definitely should have been fired after 2019. I don't want to give Shad Khan too much credit for firing him now, but at least it has finally been done. Steps are finally being taken to put this franchise right, back on like track. There's finally some initiative. Albeit way too late, there's finally some initiative for change. There's finally something to drive change. And... I've heard a lot of different swirling discussions, talks over the last couple of weeks about, you know, just the complete facade that they've put up. I mean, I, Caldwell has completely contradicted himself multiple times, talking about, you know, we're here to win. We can't, re- you know, we can't afford a rebuilding season. But then also coming out and saying stuff like, this was planned. We knew this was going to happen. But when it really boils down to it. And you try to find the silver linings and everything. I think we found a couple guys who could potentially be solid players for us going forwards, young guys as well. And I think that maybe Caldwell and Marone were here to do a job, and that job was get me as many draft picks as you can, clear this cap space. I want money because the Jaguars have been one of the highest spending teams in free agency over the last seven or eight years uh, since Khan has taken over. Uh, I think they ranked number one, actually. Uh, in that regards. So maybe they did do their job and that's why they kept him in place for now. I think once you hit 110, um, you know, that was just the end of it. You couldn't, you couldn't keep him here any longer without the fans probably revolting downtown. But when you look at this whole season overall, we knew where it was headed. And when you slowly start to peel the layers back, you see some good things you do. Now I, I know Dave probably had to have known that his time was up after this year. But you're still under contract. You're still an employee. And maybe Khan sat him down and said, this is what I need you to do to set us up for success in the future. You're still an employee here. I'm still signing your checks. You can you know, get canned now or you can you know, help us plan for the future. So maybe I'm delusional, but maybe I'm not. Who knows? It could have happened. And regardless of whether that happened or not. That is what Dave Caldwell did. He set this franchise up for the future. He set the next GM up for success. You've got the most cap space in football. You've got the best arsenal of draft picks heading into 2021. 
and you've got some young talent that you got to really like. Objectively, DJ Chark is a good football player. Josh Allen is a good football player. You've got some solid pieces on the offensive line. James Robinson is a good football player. LaVisca Chenault's a good football player. Miles Jack is a good football player. CJ Henderson is a good football player. There are pieces already in place here. There are draft picks to be had, and you are set up to go get a franchise quarterback in the draft. You are set up to spend as much money as you want in free agency. And uh, it's just a dream job for whoever the it next It absolutely is. is. And, I mean, there's just so much that can be done with this team going forward. There's so much promise on the horizon. You've just got to make sure you get the right guy and all this wasn't for nothing. How bad and demoralizing would it be to just get sucked right into the same blender and repeat this process all over again for the next eight years. It'd be heartbreaking and emotionally wrecking to have to go through all this again, especially with the setup we have now. I don't think there's anybody who looks at this franchise, the state of, like you said, the draft capital, the salary cap, the upcoming free agents, and is not attracted to this opportunity. If you are a GM out there or an aspiring GM or somebody who is trying to you know, make a splash, this is where you want to do it. You're going to have one of the two top quarterbacks in the draft, you know, a, a, a double-headed monster, unlike anything we've seen since probably 2012, in my opinion, and all the money you could ever wish for to spend on the top free agents. You can really get this thing going. Yeah, no doubt about it. You can get it going quickly. And... um you know, who's next? Who's the next GM? That's what the question that everyone is asking right now. I wrote an article about Daniel Jeremiah, uh, the lead draft analyst for NFL Network. I'm not sold that he should be the guy. I do like him. Uh, there's other talking heads out there like Lewis Riddick that a lot of people like. He's been a scout in the NFL for a long time, director of pro personnel uh, in the past. Uh, there's guys like uh, Borgonzi from Kansas City who's kind of come up with with Andy Reid over there. There's guys like uh, Hortiz, who's been with Baltimore for like almost 20 years. He's grown up with Ozzie Newsome, just as Daniel Jeremiah did for a couple years. So there's those guys. Ultimately, I think that uh, there's a lot more time for us to discuss that. We can look into that later as to which guy makes the most sense, why they make the most sense. But right now, I kind of want to just talk about what you want from the next GM, like what type of philosophy, like what, what do you need? What do you need to have from the next GM? And uh, what do you think it's about tough that, for me? Because there are two types of guys that immediately come to mind and they're completely and vastly different. On one hand, you, you know, want to have a guy who is going to build from within, build a good culture, build a team, you know, homegrown guys. You see a lot of success with that in the NFL. You really do. My biggest problem with that is that that puts us in another slow cycle. And you're going to have to build this thing from the bottom up in that case. You might be in a really good position to do so right now because of all the draft picks that you have, because of all the young talent that you have. But you also have a lot of cap space, a ton of cap space. And it would not make any sense to leave that unused. So you're going to have to kind of contradict yourself in regards to wanting it to all be built through the draft and be homegrown guys 
but you got a lot of money to spend and you're going to need to spend it. So you're going to have to go out and get some free agents. If you can get guys that buy into that culture, maybe some younger free agents, some guys you know that maybe you know are, are willing to buy in as long as you have the right leadership around you, then that might work out. The other type of guy is the guy who's just going to be a go-getter, who's going to go and get just all the talent that you can, no matter what you know that, that they've got going on, on and off the field. And you can get into trouble with that, but again, you have all this cap space. You're gonna. Yeah, you can you also can hit a home that run also, with but, that. But it's, it's a slippery slope. You've got to like have the right line. guys in the locker room to keep those type of guys in check. You've got to have the right head coach that can then could create a good culture and and keep the locker room in a great headspace. Something that we haven't had around here in a while. Um, you know, and so I don't know which one I'd rather have. If I'm being completely honest with you. I, I think I want a flashy splash pick. I want I want change. I want something different. I want you know the Jaguars to be the next big different thing in the NFL. So I think that comes on with a guy who's going to go out, not spare a penny, get the best and, and the most productive talent, build a great team around them with the draft, and start from there. I, I want a guy who wants to win now. I don't want a guy who wants to slow play this for another couple years and build from within. Those are the two guys that I see and that I think of when it comes to GMs and, and personalities and the different guys that are on those lists. You know, you can kind of put them in one side or the other, but I don't want to wait. I want to win now. So I want that big splash. I want that sexy hire when a guy is going to go out and do whatever it takes to win, pull in whoever it takes, build the best team the quickest way possible. Let's get some winning back at Jacksonville. You know, I completely agree with you. I was going to say the one thing I there's a there's a lot of different ways to do it, right? The one thing I do not want to see is another guy that is going to have the Dave Caldwell process where he just ships out all the good players, gets rid of all the good players, we're going to build through the draft, we're not going to sign any good free agents for several years. We're going to take the 5-year plan. This is not a franchise that can afford the 5-year plan. If you want to stay around in Jacksonville for a long time, you need more fan support, you need more support from um corporate sponsors, you need to win football games. And you need to win them soon. You have the opportunity to do so with the ridiculous amount of cap space, with the draft capital, with the young talent, with those three things combined, you have the opportunity to compete for the playoffs next year. Bottom line, you absolutely do. And if not next year, then certainly the year after. You've got to hit on that quarterback. You've got to get a guy that's going to hit on the quarterback at the top of the draft. That obviously has to happen. But you cannot have a guy that is going to ship off your Daryl Smith, a.k.a. Miles Jack, that's going to ship off all your good veteran players, that's going to try to get rid of some of your young players. You need a guy who's going to come in, See what he's got, work with what he's got, and build upon that, in my opinion, because the cupboard is not bare on the roster in terms of talent, and you've got plenty of cap space, like we said, all the draft capital in the world. You're lined up to have the number two overall pick right now where you can land a franchise quarterback. You've got to do it, and you've got to try to go all in. I mean, you you got to try to win, and th- and that doesn't have to come at the expense of winning later. You don't have to spend all of your cap space, but you have to improve in areas that you can and go get good football players. Absolutely. And and the first guy that comes to mind when I think of kind of that 
that slow play guy, that guy who's going to build was was Chris Ballard uh, from the Indianapolis Colts. He preached and hammered home, you know, we're building on the guys we have here. We're keeping the guys we have here. We're we're building through the draft. We're creating our own culture. It didn't really pan out all that well. They had to go out and, and get Philip Rivers, bring in a quarterback because what they had there wasn't working. And like you said, you, you, you couldn't put it well, right. Andrew, and I get that, you know, but we're, we're post that. I think that was that first coming. year anyway. Uh, first or second. So I think that I. Well, I'm just saying right. like, he never expected to not I get have that, Andrew Luck for sure. But, but, you know, th- what my point of, the, of it was that sometimes it's not all there. And if you keep trying to push through that situation, you know, without the without the potential of that, that team was good enough to get a few wins here and there. They weren't ever going to be in a spot to where they were going to have to to get another franchise quarterback. Um, even with you know, obviously uh, uh, the whole Andrew Luck situation, I, I don't think they would have been in the running. They're not bad enough to be, you know, a bottom three team in the NFL, but. You know, like you said, the, the franchise, not even just the team, and when the franchise is on its last legs. If you keep going down this path that you're in right now, you're losing all the fan interest. You're losing all the sponsorships. And I wasn't even thinking about that when I was giving my reasonings and my thought process. So it just made it even more significant. If you continue this cycle, if you miss again and you start, you know, going down the same rabbit hole you're not just losing games. You're probably losing this franchise in this city. There probably will no longer be the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you can't figure out how to write the ship. I agree with you completely. Um, it's, it's tough to think about that, but it's, it could be the truth. Unfortunately, so, Jeremy, how about we take a look at Let's this seven-round mock? See what you got here. I, uh, I pulled it up a little bit ago and was taking a look at it. Obviously, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit before uh, we got on here. And at number two, with no doubt, if they don't get themselves to number one, you're taking Justin Fields. There's no question about it. I mean, he's going to be the guy that you entrust with turning this franchise around. He is going to be your franchise guy. You've seen a lot of great things out of him. Obviously, he's not getting as much on tape this year as you'd like, but – there's no doubt in my mind, at least, that he's the clear-cut number two guy. Um, some people like to say he's you know one B to Trevor Lawrence's one A. I don't think so. I think he's just clear-cut number two. But either way, I think he's still uh, far and 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 between better than number three. So there's no doubt in my mind that at number two they go Justin Fields. I agree with you. I've gone back and forth on this a lot. I'm not convinced at this point. There's still more work to do for me. I do watch a lot of this tape. I'm not convinced that Trevor Lawrence is a better pro prospect than Justin Fields. He's still ranked higher for me than Justin Fields, but they are incredibly close uh, in my mind. I think, you know, Lawrence is likely to go number one, regardless, just based on everything that has happened over the last few years. You land fields, you're in a great place. I love Zach Wilson from BYU. Uh, Dane Brugler from The Athletic had him going number two to the Jaguars in his first mock draft of the year. I really respect Dane Brugler, but with all due respect, Justin Fields is a safer pick. 
He's a more athletic player. He has a fantastic arm. Great release. Zach Wilson might have a better release, but you're talking about going from an excellent release to like maybe one of the best releases of all time. Fields has a great release. There's no problem with it at all. There's no problem with his delivery. He's got touch. He's got accuracy. He's got the deep ball. Incredible frame. You know, 6'3", 230 pounds, very thick. Uh, can hold up against uh, some some of those guys that are going to try to make hits on him. Very good pocket awareness. Very good at making guys miss. Very good at uh, bouncing off tackles, kind of reminiscent of what Deshaun Watson does back there where it's just impossible to get him down. He's got everything. And he's continuing to develop as a field general in my mind in terms of uh, in terms of just going through his reads, having the good vision down the field. I think he's shown development in that area, which is encouraging. He's a hardworking guy. He's got the pedigree, former number one overall dual threat recruit coming out of high school and uh, now can be the face of Jaguars football for the next decade. Man, so. you really, you're, you're really starting to get on the – on the, the the fields hype train, huh? you you really think that he's that close to Trevor Lawrence? Yes, absolutely. Because I and we don't have to get into a full on debate about it. But my question to anyone that thinks Trevor Lawrence is significantly better than Justin Fields that's is fair. why. And I'm sure that's a discussion that we will have as times get closer, um, especially when we see where the Jaguars do end up. If any moves are being made, uh, you know, obviously, regardless, you're going to either have number one or you're going to have number two and you're going to get a quarterback. And I think those are really the only two in question. So we can have that discussion going forward. Uh, Next up on your board uh, at number 25 is offensive tackle Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Um, I think this pick has a lot to do with whether or not they keep the offensive line they have intact right now. Uh, I think if they do, uh, then you're obviously looking elsewhere. Uh, for this pick, but I think this is based on uh, Cam Robinson potentially not coming to an agreement with the team, and whether or not you know they think they need to go a different way. Uh, if they do at that tackle position, um, this is not a bad pick. I, I can see uh, this being a good pick. I think also uh, Samuel Cosme from Texas would also be a good one to look at here as well. Not sure if he'll still be around, um, but. T- it's it's right. gonna be close. That was my thinking. At twenty five, it's gonna be close. There you never know. Things. So that's really the only other one that I would look at at this point in the draft and say, you know, there's a potential that we could look there as well. Uh, be- I don't think Slater's gonna be there either, but he has shorter arms, thirty uh, three inch arms. So you know, the threshold for those offensive tackles that NFL guys right. want is the thirty four inch arms. So maybe that's why he could fall into the twenties potentially, but. Yeah, the bottom line is, like you said, if they keep Cam Robinson around, you're not going for an offensive tackle here. If they don't keep Cam Robinson around, you have but to But I don't go hate offensive line. Um, I mean, I think it can be a little flexible with, with what you want to do here. I think, depending on who's the board, you're still looking for a weapon. I still think uh, Kyle Pitts, still, fingers crossed, maybe the Jaguars can move up. Uh, but I still think you maybe want to get another weapon regardless. Um, again, all kind of dependent on the offensive line situation because – you know, you want – I think you want to keep that group together. I don't think Cam Robinson has shown you that he can't be that guy going forward. So I don't think you want to, you know, move on from that. You probably sign a guard in free agency. So 
there are other offensive weapons here that I think that maybe they should look at as well um, if they're available. Um, it could be Kyle Pitts. It could be Justin Ross out of Clemson. I think the more that we see ETN. Well, yeah, Justin Ross, I think he's going to end up falling a while because yep, yep, of big, his injuries. Big physical, talented, talented receiver, guy, I think, would pair well in that group. Um, and even a guy like, like ETN, um, as he starts to slowly fall, you know, if you want to look at him being a pure running back, then that might not be a great pick. I am completely against taking running backs in the first round, especially after that worked out uh, for us uh, in that number four overall pick we spent on Leonard Fournette. But ETN's a guy that you can really kind of move all around, uh, put in the slot, put in some bunch formations, a good change of pace back, you know, compared to James Robinson. And it might be a good little weapon, uh, depending on what the new scheme of the offense is going forward, if we get something different in there. So just uh, some other options to potentially think about if we're looking at some offensive weapons. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then moving into the second round, top of the second round, I've got another offensive player. I do promise we will get to defense because that is important. But um, I've got Pat Fryermuth here. He might not fall this far, but if he does, I think he's the perfect, um, the perfect guy to add to this offense and give give Justin Fields a not only a safety valve, but an explosive player to get the ball to. This is one that I'm questioning a little bit just because I'm, I'm not completely sold on him as being the best head in the draft. And then especially with the shoulder injury, it's going to sit him out for the rest of the year. I'm not going to put as much attention into that as I would if it were a normal full length college ball season. But there's got to be some cause for concern there. A tight end with a with a bum shoulder could could not uh, be the best look going forward. Sorry about that. I had to step away for just a second. Oh, the dog got out. Did you uh? Did you locate her? <laughs> oh man, I know. You're I know good. that feeling when the heart drops. You're just like, oh yes. No. We- yeah, we're good to go. So I didn't quite hear what you said with Fryermuth. You were so saying, I'm not sure if Fryermuth. Sure I mean, I, I don't think he's clear cut the best tight end. Um, I, I think that you could look for some weapons elsewhere, but also that shoulder injury that he just sustained uh, to, to to send him out the rest of the season. I would put more thought into it and more attention into it if this were a full college football season. That might give me a little bit more of a red flag, um, especially if we were later into the season. You know, obviously Penn State, they have, they've only played like, what, five or six games. But a tight end with a bum shoulder, you know, if, if it does have some lingering effects going into the combine, going into the draft, stuff like that, I don't think that's a great uh, a great place to, to put such a high-value pick. Um, you know, he's going to have to do a lot of blocking. He's going to take a lot of hits. You know, he's going to be a physical guy. And if he's got a bum shoulder, that might hold him back. Yeah, I mean... I, I get that. I, I think maybe the shoulder could help him fall to the second round, but this is a guy that was the consensus number one tight end before Kyle Pitts just destroyed the world. Uh, you know, put on the Thanos glove, the infinity gauntlet, and just said, you know, he's going to be the best player in college football this year. So I, I would be 100% elated if Fryer Muth fell to 34 and the Jaguars picked him up. Obviously, I would rather have Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts is, like I said, destroyer of worlds. I mean, he's unbelievable at the tight end position. He's uncoverable, great speed, great height, 
great ball skills, just got the whole package there. Um, but yeah, I would be really happy with Friar Muth. Uh, if he's not available, you could look at Brevin Jordan, who's also dealt with injuries um, over at Miami. He's an excellent tight end, maybe a better athlete overall than Friar Muth. Very impressive athletically with the ball in his hand. And then you could also look at a couple of receivers. Terrace Marshall, if he's available from LSU, big, fast guy, can stretch the field. And then Chris Olave, who Justin Fields has a repertoire with already. They play at Ohio State together. So that could be interesting there. Um, not sure what you're thinking about. If you want a different playmaker, different position. If what are your somehow thoughts? everything you know, just falls right in place and, and Justin Roth – Ross even falls down a little bit further, just a few more picks, and we you pick him up in the second round. That would be awesome. I, I don't think Ross is going on. You don't think so? You think he's going to fall that far? Wow, I, I don't. I, I, really I don't. Do. I don't see that because I mean, he had the very dangerous injury, and then he tried to come back this summer, had to get surgery again. So it's one of those things where it's like one of right. those guys can't right. even I, play. I don't. Again. I don't. I think we'll have to see at the combine, obviously, but until something shows me, and I guess this kind of contradicts what I was saying about Firemuth, but until something shows me that that he's not the same player he was, you know, then I think that what we've seen from him is still there, and I think that would be a fantastic addition to this offense. Um, but also, if you didn't go offensive lineman with your with your second pick, you know, say say we didn't go offensive tackle because we did keep Cam Robinson around. Maybe it is time to look at somebody like maybe uh, Cade Myers or I'm sorry, Cade Mays or, um, you know, uh, maybe um, Eichenberg out, out of Notre Dame. Maybe that's where you get that other offensive lineman that you're looking for. Um, also, I wouldn't count on Ben Barch, man. I liked how he played on Sunday too. So maybe we're set there. But I think offensive lineman is still in the realm here um, if you need one more guy. Yeah, and then moving into the second round pick or second second round pick, excuse me. I got Marvin Wilson here at number 45. This is a guy that was a consensus first round pick before the start of the 2020 season. FSU as a whole has just been awful this year. Obviously, Marvin Wilson only played five games before sustaining a leg injury that ended his season. Didn't play up to his standard in those first five games. But what you saw from his peak in 2019, good leader. Excellent hand strength. Uh, offensive Interior offensive linemen just can't handle that. Uh, I don't think they will be able to. He can overpower those guys. And he moves well. I wouldn't say he's explosive, but he moves well for his size. And he just has a nose for making plays, a knack for making plays, nose for the football. Um, Jaguars need to get better against the run. They need to be better on third down. I think if you pair Marvin Wilson with Devon Hamilton, and uh, have Doug Costin rotating in there as well. I think that could really pay some dividends. For I the love this pick. Line. Marvin Wilson was one of my top defensive linemen if he would have came out last year. Um, still questionable decision in my eyes, especially now with, with the way everything has gone in FSU. But, you know, you said it best. You know, pairing him up with another young, promising stud in Devon Hamilton could really get you a great foundation on the interior of the defensive line. Something that I think the team really does need. They need more playmakers uh, down there in the middle. Got to be able to consistently stop the run and get some pressure inside every now and then. I think those two could do it. I think they would be a a great one-two combo. I think if you want to look elsewhere here, you may be looking uh, towards J.C. Horn. 
big physical cornerback um, and maybe even a guy uh, like Marco Wilson, the other Wilson from Florida State playing cornerback or even Asante Samuel Jr. I think you still might need another guy in the secondary. But, uh, you know, if, if Marvin Wilson is there, I think that would be a fantastic grab for Jacksonville. Yeah, I don't mind uh, that um, that Asante pick you you mentioned there. Marco has not been playing very well in my mind. I don't think he's anywhere close to this level based on watching the Gators all the time. But yeah, Asante Samuel, if he's there, I think that could be a good pick. I'm just kind of thinking in the mindset where I've got CJ, I've got Sydney potentially, if they do re-sign him, which the Jaguars absolutely should. And then I've got Trey and uh, Josiah in the slot, where I feel pretty good about that. Obviously, you can never have enough corners in today's game, so I kind of agree with you there. And I do have the Jaguars picking up a corner much later. But moving into the very bottom of the second round, I have the Jaguars trading up, getting rid of their third third round pick and their um, sixth round pick to get up to 57 overall to get Jalen Phillips from Miami. This is a guy that transferred from UCLA. He has first-round talent written all over him. I mean, he's been insanely productive in his only year at Miami so far this year. Ten and a half tackles and five sacks, three passes defended, even got an interception. But um, he's long, he's physical, very strong. He can get around the edge. He can beat you inside. The question here is uh, the off-field stuff. There's some questions about why he left UCLA, how that all went down. And then he's also a guy that's battled injuries throughout his career. He stayed healthy so far this year, which is encouraging. But um, I, I think at somewhere, some way, the Jaguars need another pass rusher, especially if DeWan Smoot exits. And um, you got Josh Allen, obviously. You love him. He's going to be a starter for you. Caleb on Chase on, we've talked about it. Not, do, not doing well enough at this point. Go get somebody else to push Chase on, to potentially start over Chase on. And uh, the best pass rushers in football always have multiple edge rushers that can get it done. I think going to get a guy like this, even if he is a bit risky with the injury history, with the off-field, you obviously want to clear him of that before you draft a guy. Uh, you know, We don't want another Matt Jones or Justin Blackman happening. Obviously, this isn't the first round, but still, you need to vet these guys. You need to make sure he's a guy that you want around your your building and your culture. And if Phillips does meet that criteria for you, he's got all the talent in the world to take a risk on that injury history to to potentially make you a much better team on third down, getting off the field, getting after the passer. Right. I think the biggest thing defender. there is is you know the increasingly deteriorating play of Caleb on chase on. And I don't last podcast. I, I did, you know, say some things about not being ready to kind of fill his spot just yet. But I think the more and more that we see how poorly he's playing, the more and more that I'll admit I was wrong. I think you're right. I think going and getting another edge guy will be key in this draft. Uh, Phillips a little bit bigger. Uh, a little bit more of a stout edge defender. Someone is probably going to be able to uh, force the ball back inside a little bit more, uh, you know, work the body a little bit more of these bigger offensive tackles. So I think it's a little bit of a better fit. Um, I really do. Obviously he's had the injury history and, and, you know, you mentioned some of the off the field stuff. We're not too quite sure about, I get that, but that's why these guys fall. 
you get the regime, coaching staff, you know, locker room leadership in place to make sure your Justin Blackman, uh, you know, situation that you mentioned doesn't happen again. You don't have any issues, whatever it may be. We're not saying he has the same issues as Justin Blackman, but you know, with these big talents that have these issues, you need to have uh, the right support system around them to make sure that you know they can be successful in this league. So, I think that will be most important with this pick. Do you have the right guys around this guy to make sure that he can continue to be successful and grow and not make stupid decisions that are going to cost him his career? Yeah, definitely. And like I said, super talented. He's a first round talent. It's those questions about the injuries, which he's not injured at all right now, playing very well. And the off field questions which I'm not sure about what they are exactly. I know it was kind of unceremonious the way he left UCLA from what I heard and that just people have some questions. So something that needs to be addressed further, obviously, uh, by whoever is going to draft him. Now, moving on to 103 overall, I've got a safety. Uh, I don't think Jared Wilson is a terrible safety by any stretch, but I think that you need a free safety that can be a playmaker. And I just don't see Jared Wilson as that. I do think Richie Grant is a playmaker from UCF. He's six foot, 194 pounds. He has speed, coverage ability to play single high, which is what you like from your free safety. He's picked off 10 passes in his career, 17 passes defended. He's also blitzed a lot off the edge, which you like to be able to have that versatility playing in the box and trying to create some havoc in the backfield as well. He's not perfect. Uh, take some bad angles at times and uh, run pursuit he'll miss some tackles but you've got a guy here that can help you get Justin Fields in your offense the ball back and I think that's what you need from a defense when you've got an offense that you expect to really be able I do to think put up the points. back end of the secondary is a big question mark going into this offseason in this draft I don't know if there's anybody really in this draft that I'm sold on when, especially when it comes to the safety position. Um, hypothetically speaking, if, if there was one for him to take, I don't think Richie Grant is a bad pick, especially in this point in the draft. Um, I just am not completely set on the safety prospects um, outside the first round. I think you've got some some guys that you can move in and out. I think, um, you know, even if even if you take a guy that's that's played maybe a little bit of cornerback in college, um, you know, and, and move them. A guy like Asante Samuel, I think, would be a great transition into the back end. But it's not always ideal. I understand that. But I don't really see a lot of guys late in this draft that have those kind of ball skills. So I'm a little bit hesitant on on drafting a safety this late. But again, if you had to take one, I don't think Richard Grant's a terrible pick. But I'm looking more towards, um, you know, another defensive lineman. We need some more rotation. We've got three guys at this point that we think are going to be playmakers. If we do go ahead and get Marvin Wilson. So let's go get another, um, or maybe another linebacker, um, in my opinion, especially, you know, you need to have some versatility, being able to run multiple sets on defense. And I think with the current personnel we have right now, including Caleb Vaughn, I just don't think that depth is there. So maybe another guy, hopefully maybe we'll see somebody like Shaq Quarterman, improve uh, going into the next year. But if not, I like Jabril Cox at LSU. Um, I also like uh, Rakeem Boyd. Or not Rakeem Boyd. I'm sorry. That's a running back. Um, LeCount also has a safety out of Georgia. If you want to go uh, in the DB in the secondary, I've got these guys listed down. But 
I'm just still not completely sure on whether or not I think there's a safety in this draft, especially at this point, worth taking. Yeah, I think these guys are all inconsistent on film, but again, what I want from a safety for the Jaguars is a guy who is going to get you the ball back. A guy that's going to give Justin Fields short fields. (laughs) Uh, No pun intended there. But yeah, I mean, you could look at guys like Paris Ford, Trayvon Morig. There's definitely some guys that can go get the ball back. But I've liked the guys I got to this point. So I still feel like I'm happy with what you've done in the first two rounds. I think Richie Grant is one of the last guys that could have starter potential and have playmaking potential. And then moving down, we've got 109 overall, which is another trade-up. I traded up uh, from the 120s to get up to 109 to add another fantastic receiver to this core. I think Keelan Cole's probably gone. He's really been turning heads. I think he can get some money elsewhere, uh, more money than the Jaguars will be willing to give him to be, you know, the third or fourth receiver. So you bring in Tylen Wallace. He's six foot 185. If he was two inches taller, 10 pounds heavier, he could be a day one or two pick because he has all the production in the world, all the ball skills in the world. Gets in and out of his breaks very quickly. He's a fast guy, very good with the ball in his hands. I mean, 192 catches, 3,292 yards, 26 total touchdowns. I love the kid on film. I know he's doing it against the Big 12, but when you look at what he does, he gets in and out of his breaks quickly. He is hard to cover, and when you do do a good job covering him, he is able to out-physical and out-maneuver defensive backs to go up and get the ball at the catch point. And he's also good at being the press. I've seen that, uh, which is something that you don't really see from a lot of young college kids coming out, the ability to beat the press with his hands at the line. So I just think... He's a guy that if he was a little bit bigger would be would be much higher on a lot of people's boards. He's higher than this on my board. If he's there in the fourth round. I have not round, seen a ton a of tape on Wallace yet. But what I have seen, like you said, he's a quick guy. He's explosive in and out of his breaks. I think it's going to be a great building block uh, for a new quarterback, a, a great another young playmaker uh, with speed and you said his catch point ability, he does make great uh, catches when he can high point the ball, even with his small frame. Um, I think you are also really blessed at this point in the draft. I think there are a lot of great deep receivers down here that you can potentially go out and get. A guy like uh, DeMonte Coxie from Memphis, a 6'3", 200 frame, a big guy. Um, he's made some plays this year. And, and Terrence Marshall out of LSU, also a 6'3", 200 guy big frame. So there are really a lot of options here, uh, you know, down towards the, end, the bottom of the draft where you can get. I think Marshall is uh, Marshall's probably so? going to be a first or second round pick in my opinion. When Start moving up the board that yeah, much. He's falling out this year and he's got, yeah, he's got the size and the speed and the production this year. Uh, when he was coming into LSU, he was actually the higher recruit than Justin Jefferson. Right. And Jamar Chase. Everything I'm seeing, he's now. still ranked he's between got 15 and 20. So he'd have to make some pretty big jumps. And I, and I don't I don't disagree. I'm just telling you. But from, from what I'm seeing currently happen. right now, from, from the it's prospect rankings that I was looking at prior to this, if we're going off that, and obviously they're going to shift and they're going to change, and people are going to move. At this point in the draft, 
you know, in, in this 100 to 115 range um, to give yourself enough wiggle room each side, maybe even 100 to 120, you've got a lot of playmakers down here. So I don't think you're going to miss. I don't think you can go wrong with really any of these guys. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you're going to be able to find a good receiver at that spot. Now, moving down to 142, I've got an interior offensive lineman who probably is going to be relegated to center because he's six foot two, doesn't really have the length to compete closer to the edges. But because he's six foot two, he is able to get leverage uh, against pretty much every defensive lineman. The uh, center from Kentucky, Drake Jackson, plays very good in, in both pass protection and uh, and run blocking. I think he's the anchor of one of the best offensive lines in the country at Kentucky, kind of unheralded, not a lot of people know about, but very good football player. I think if you pair him with Brandon Linder and Ben Barch moving forward you and potentially Tyler Shatley, if you can bring him back, maybe Norwell is back for another year, maybe Can's back for another year, then you've got a lot of good pieces on the yeah, interior I think, of the offensive um, line. You know, offensive linemen here are a dime a dozen. You're bound to find one uh, that can really suit you well if you do your homework. And like you said, Kentucky, believe it or not, has a very stout offensive line. And I think that, like you said, a guy like Drake Jackson, a little bit smaller, but he's going to get you great leverage up in the middle. I think he's obviously limited to guard or center. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a guy that you can immediately expect to produce right away. I don't think he's polished enough and ready for that right off the bat. Um, but with the potential holes opening up from AJ can and, you know, Brandon Linder's not getting any younger. He is up for a contract as well. I believe after next year, if I'm not mistaken, um, I, b- I believe it's next year, but yeah, confirm me on that. I think he's up after contract for, for next year. You might want to start planning for the future and this might be where you want to start. Um, you know, Ben Barch is a guy that, again, I saw a lot that I liked from on Sunday. So I think you, you've you got a good little bit of a young core there. Um, so it's not a bad idea. So Linder is actually 2022. Okay, so two years. through 2022. Years. And he's only 28 years old. I think he's a guy that you've got him in Jacksonville. He's going to be 30 when his contract is up. I think you re-sign him. I think he's I just disagree. a guy that you should keep around for his career. Or at least until he shows any sign not of deterioration, play, which but he, he has had injury issues in the past. So I, I don't, so I don't right. think it's, I don't think it's ever a bad idea to have depth, Absolutely. especially Absolutely. at center, especially along the interior offensive line, or really the offensive line at all in general. So, um, I, yeah. And if you get Jackson in there to, put, to play center, potentially, obviously Linder can right. play guard. I think obviously if he's on the team, though, he, he's your guy in the middle, um, without a doubt. But so I'm sorry, two more years on that contract. He is 30. He's had some of the injury issues. I agree that he should be here until he physically can't play football anymore and decides to retire, but you've always got to have a backup plan, a plan B, just in case. Yeah, and then my final pick here, 164, because we did do some trading up, is Keith Taylor from Washington. He's not exactly polished, but he's six foot three, great length, cornerback. Uh, he's versatile because he's played inside. He's played outside for the Huskies. He knows how to blitz. He's a good tackler. Nine career passes defended, so he is able to uh, show some playmaking ability. He's not a guy that you're going to want to get in there immediately, but he's a guy that could potentially just help you have versatility on the back end if he can make his way onto the roster. 
And uh, I think he can play special teams, like I said, solid tackler. So I think he would just kind of be a versatile piece for Don't that. Don't get to see a lot of Washington games. Back. I'm usually in bed by the time they come on. So I haven't seen uh, a lot of this guy, uh, of Keith Taylor. So I'll have to default to you a little on that one. But he's definitely somebody that, if he's on your radar, that's a guy that I will go and get some tape in for sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's not flashy. He hasn't done a whole lot in terms of showing that he can go out and cover a number one or two NFL receiver. But he's a developmental guy that could potentially be a good slot player and also have the versatility to play outside for you. And he's got that length that you can't you can't teach it. Six foot three. So I think he'd be an interesting late round pick for the Jaguars. Obviously, all this is subject to change. There's going to be a lot that changes um, from now till draft day. Got a lot of football left to play. Got the pre-draft process when it comes to the scouting combine. Hopefully, we can get that down. Hopefully, we can get the senior bowl in as well. And that's going to that's going to change these prospect rankings a bit. It's going to affect the process. So it will be a lot of fun to see how this all goes. Of course. The draft is not until late April, so we've got plenty of time to keep evaluating these guys, and we will keep evaluating these guys to uh, to try to get it right. We're going to try to provide the best analysis on these players and be accurate with what these guys can potentially become, and I think that's a lot of fun. I didn't really start putting together like big boards until last year, um, and I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, really, really intrigued by quarterbacks in general. Not just this year because of the Jaguars' obvious need for quarterback, but I love scouting the quarterbacks. Um, real quick, talking about Justin Fields again, who is obviously the headliner in this class for the Jaguars for this mock draft. I have him, like I said, very close with Trevor Lawrence. I still have Trevor Lawrence a little bit in front of him, but there's a lot of a lot of reasons that I'm looking and maybe saying that Justin Fields could be a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. I think he has a bigger arm. I think he's more athletic. I like his frame better. Um, And I think he might be a more accurate thrower. I think when you look at what Trevor Lawrence does better, he's obviously got more experience. He's taller. Um, I think his release is a little bit quicker, but I don't think he has as strong of an arm as Justin Fields, uh, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, He's obviously a great athlete, but I think Fields is a better athlete. I think Lawrence is a little thin, not terribly thin, but a little thin. So I think when you compare these guys, uh, it's a close comparison. I think ultimately what is having Trevor Lawrence for most people in front of Justin Fields right now is just his overall understanding of the game, his understanding of progressing through his reads, reading the field and uh, just having the vision down the field. But as I'm watching Justin Fields in 2020, I'm not seeing much separation and I'm going to continue to evaluate these guys. So it'll be fun to watch and see where it all shakes out there. I will say at this point, Justin Fields, I have ranked higher than oh, Joe Burrow. Okay. Last See, year. that I can understand. That one I can understand. I, I can get behind that. But I don't think we're going to probably potentially ever agree on the on the Fields-Lawrence comparison. Um, 
Well, look, I'm not saying just, Fields is higher. I am close. agreeing right now that Lawrence is higher. I'm just saying there's reasons for me that Fields it's it's going to be close for me. It's going to be really close. But what what matters ultimately is not what's close for me. It matters right. What do the Jets I, think? What I think the there's just think? so much there. I mean, I I really do. I think there's so much that separates them. Just as much as you think, there's a lot that keeps them so close. I'm on the other side of that aisle. I think you talk about his frame. He's six six. You know, I mean, Justin Fields and. The, when right. he gets in the his league, height they, is fantastic, but he's that's not that's not a hard fix. He's not. It's not bad. It's not bad. I'm just saying when you compare six six two twenty to six three two thirty, who is going to hold that's up? Fair, but big I think they'll back. get Justin him Fields. where he needs to be body wise. And they talk about his arm. He, uh, Justin Fields might have a better arm, a stronger arm. I don't know if it's better, it's stronger. That could be potentially true, but but. Stronger, yeah. I'm not going to say like better touch right. yet. And it might be stronger, like but again, I think he has a I've seen Trevor role. Lawrence make great throws down the field, and he's done it longer and Every more consistently. Throw. And you know, you see the guys like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen who can throw the ball 80 yards, 90, 70 yards on their knees. That's cool and all, but you really don't need that in the NFL. That's almost overkill. I'm not saying it doesn't help to have it, to have that kind of arm, but you don't need it. So I think Trevor Lawrence's understanding of the game. He has enough arm talent. I think his arm talent is still above average for an NFL quarterback. And, uh, and it's, it's just excellent. the release, the form, the, the mechanics. Everything just looks so polished. And it's not a knock on Justin Fields. It's just that, that I feel like this dude has been groomed since day one to be this. And, you know, it's, just, it's literally everything is just so on point, so sharp. Um, I, I just – I personally don't see – I don't see it as close as you, but we'll have that conversation as we go. It's going to be so much fun to talk about this going forward. I personally love watching film, um, and I haven't gotten into it that much yet, but I'll get into the deep studies as we get you know, a little bit closer towards the end of the season, and we start setting up those big boards. I think that's fantastic. I cannot wait to get into this stuff. I love watching the offensive line. Not a lot of people do, so I'll definitely be on top of that. Um, and you know, It's, it's going to be a really exciting to start going through these position groups, figure out, you know, what kind of players these guys are down to the core when you sit there and watch hours of film and, and really kind of see where they're going to fit uh, with this team. And it, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I love this part of the year. Yeah, I do too. And uh, hopefully in years to come, we won't be so focused on yeah, the draft. It's a little early. Most teams aren't worried about that yet, but uh, we're used to this and we've been here before. So you know, about about January, about playoff time is, is usually a great time to start breaking down film um, and, and really seeing, you know, what these guys have. And we're not going to have as much of it this year as we did last year. You know, the, these guys coming out are going to have a lot less film, uh, you know, for their final college season. So it's going to be tough, but it's going to be fun. Yes, and I'd like to remind everyone about our bet that we have not decided what uh, what's at stake yet. But Zach Wilson, top five. Dan Brugler's on my side there, uh, of course, like I said, of the athletic. And I've seen him going in the top five a lot. Uh, I've actually seen him now that the uh, the draft order has been updated since last week. I've seen him going to Washington at five a lot. So that would be interesting. Um, I love him. I I tweeted out earlier this week that I thought he was about at the same place as Fields for me. 
I've done more work on it since then. And the reasons I believe that Fields is a better prospect is A, his frame. Like I said, 6'3", 230, whereas Zach Wilson is 6'3", 210. So, you know, Wilson doesn't look too thin out there. But if he's getting rocked, which one do you want to get rocked? You want Fields, right? So then, um, obviously, Wilson Wilson probably has the best arm out of anyone the last couple of years. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But does he have the field vision? Does he have the level of competition? Does he have the overall body of production? Uh, does he have the athleticism and mobility? He is athletic. He is mobile, but not to the level of Justin Fields and not to the level of Trevor Lawrence, for that matter. So um, those are some of the reasons I'm looking at Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence above Zach Wilson. But I think I saw Zach that Wilson I saw your tweet. Awesome I see you trying to slowly put it, the narrative out there that Zach Wilson is going to be a top round or a top five pick. And and I appreciate the gamesmanship. I still don't think it's going to happen. We need to figure out what that wager is going to be. Uh, but just looking at two of the the top, you know, draft reports, um, CBS Sports and uh, NBC currently have. Um, Zach Wilson, CBS, going seventh overall to Carolina. So interesting. We're getting there. We're we're, hey, we're, we're getting, getting a little close. We're getting a little close. But over here at NBC, you've got to go a little bit further down. I mean, you don't see a third quarterback taken until eight, and that's Trey Lance. So you know he's not even top in there. Yeah, I could see Lance going in front of Wilson. I could. I I don't. They're close too, and I love Trey Lance. This is a guy that's kind of fallen by the wayside because he's not playing in 2020. Obviously, only has a one year of starter starting for North Dakota State. You know, lesser competition, but you pop on his tape. His arm is fantastic as well. I mean, he can get the ball out so quick and so fast to on out routes and stuff like that. Which is that's part of what you really look at right. with the arm strength. Not as much the nine routes and stuff, but the out routes, the balls on the right outside of the numbers, field, man. Uh, the boundary throws, God, he gets them out right there. Left numbers. If you fast, can make man, that throw, you're going to have a great, great career in this league. If you can get the ball out quick, like you said, across the field to the sideline, NBC has Zach Wilson at number 16 to the bears. So, man, the bears would, they <laughs> we'll would see, be uh, so we'll see what tree they end up barking up, but, uh, it's going to be close. It's going to be close. He's either going to rise or fall. I mean, I think it's really going to come down to the combine and pro days if they have them. I mean, he's going to freaking – I mean, you put this but guy yeah, in about All the other guys who are also going to make their names insane. as well. All of the, a lot of movement. All four of these guys, all four of these guys are just awesome prospects in my opinion at quarterback. I love them. Love, love, love this quarterback class. I think um, the only I, I would have Joe Burrow in front of Wilson and Lance, not physically, but just mentally. And uh, he he's a fantastic what Joe Burrow did and what he's doing in the NFL. He's going to be a great quarterback. Um, the only other guy from the last couple of years that I would have in this range with these guys. I have uh, Kyler Murray. I had actually, I would have him in front of Joe Burrow coming out as well, right behind really? Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and he's just that outlier. He's a, like 
when you look at some of the quarterback stuff that you really want, you want multiple years of production, which Kyler Murray didn't have. You want the height and the weight, which Kyler Murray obviously doesn't have. But uh, his ability to throw the ball precisely, accurately, and with velocity on the move is unparalleled, in my opinion. And he's got a great arm, and he's obviously an unbelievable guy with the ball in his hands running around. It's just a little jitterbug, spark spark bug back there. Incredible guy uh, in terms of his ability. He's the outlier, though. You see all these guys talking about, you don't need to be a tall quarterback anymore in the NFL. Drew Brees and Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, those are outliers. Those are the yeah, exception, not it. the rule. I, I definitely understand. You know that. what those I mean? Those are the outliers. You're right. Those are the guys who have you know, gone above and beyond uh, you know, the issues placed in front of them. So I definitely get that. A little update for you here as I, as I peek over. Um, RG3 is now on the sideline with an ice pack uh, taped to the back of his hamstring, and we have some Trace McSorley action going on over here in Pittsburgh. Just want to update you guys on that. So this should go well. Very nice. Well, I <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought he was going to end up playing like safety or something in the NFL, but leave it to the Ravens to get the most out of him. Um, love John Harbaugh, but that's going to do it for the show. I've had a great time talking quarterbacks. I'm sure we will continue to do that. Talking about the Jaguars GM job and uh, you know, everything that's going to be coming up for the Jaguars. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Of course, check out genjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news analysis and Duval merch. Quick shout out again to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gen Jag podcast. Enjoy week 13 of the NFL season, and thanks for listening, Duval. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.